to than it was years ago. And so I want you to come and be a part of that, the Lord willing, in February and March. Let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God. And I want to read verse 4 of chapter 1 and I talked about this morning. Talk about Christian living for just a few minutes. And what the apostle of love said in 1 John in three different places. He could have added more, I guess. But uh, this is a vital message and I think one appropriate for our today. I was leaving off this morning talking about how so many things we have enemies. Materialism is an enemy. The love of money is the root of all evil. That just struck me over and over again this week in preparation. Lay aside everything else. The love of many is the root. The love of money is the root of all evil. Oliver B. Green said years ago, the sin that's taken the shout out of the church is people not tithing. Could be a lot of truth in that. But the fact is, it's still the root of all evil. And then the Bible says, men shall be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Well, those two things in themselves are enough to want us to pray for a God-sent Holy Ghost revival meeting. So join us with, us with us in prayer and reading the Bible. 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Read it together with me, please. Ready? I talked this morning about every Christian ought to be a glad Christian. Glad Christian. Are you glad to be saved? Amen. I mean, the word joy and happiness interchanges, interchanges through the Bible. But God wants us to be glad that we're saved. Oh, to be redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you, that you what? And if any man sin, we have an accurate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. I'm glad for a twofold truth found in that passage. We're not supposed to sin. We're not supposed to sin. We're not supposed to sin. And yet God has provided for us if we do sin. He, he leaves the preposition and the supposition that we're not supposed to sin. How long can you go without sinning? Probably a good debate sometime in, in theological circles. But the fact is, God knows us, and I'm glad He's provided a way, and I'll talk a little bit about that in the Lord willing tonight. In chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. He wants to be a glad Christian. He wants us to be a good Christian, chapter 2, verse 1. He wants us to be grounded as a Christian in verse 13 with the word know and the word knowledge found throughout the epistle of 1 John. I think it's 37 times. If you circle it, you'll find the word know or know, know knowledge in the five chapters of John's writing in this little epistle. Anytime God repeats something, he's putting emphasis on it. But he don't have to say it by one time to make it so. He must be born again. It's not repeated over and over again. And neither is other words in the Bible. But this word no, however, is at the very top of the scale, the very heart of this message about why we are to live a Christian life a certain way. Father, give me that which I need to speak for just a few minutes and may you make me a blessing and I'll thank you for it. Holy Ghost of God, and do that which only you can do and I'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You ask me why I'm happy, I'll just tell you why. Are you listening? You ask me why I'm happy, I'll just tell you why. Are you listening? Yes. Or just check it. 
You ask me why I'm happy tonight, I'll tell you why. My sins are gone. Buried in the deepest sea. Yes, that's good enough for me. Praise God, my sins are gone. And many a theologian and Bible scholar and even Bible teacher along the way have included that little statement. And he, he's buried him in the sea of his forgiveness and he's put a no fishing sign up out there not to bother those sins because they're buried in the deepest sea. And they're as far as the east is from the west. God has removed every sin in my life from me. Past, present, and future. They're all under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how wonderful that is to live like that, to know everything's all right between me and my God. He wants us to be the kind of Christian that's glad. You ask me why I'm happy, I'll just tell you why. I'm glad I'm a Christian. I want to praise God for being a Christian. I hope I can be a better Christian. But the emphasis tonight on it should be glad. The observation being given to the early church, I said this morning how observing they are in following the admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus endured the cross for the Joy that was set before him. I believe the Lord Jesus was a happy man. I believe it was a fulfillment of all that joy could be. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, uh, meekness, temperance, uh, two or three others in there, not all together. But Jesus Christ has fulfilled all those scriptures, and he is joy. I don't think he was a burden to be around. I don't think he was somebody that would scare off little kids. There had to be something pleasant about the Lord Jesus to draw little children. He would say, suffer, let them come to me, let the little children come. And I believe little children sit on the lap of Jesus Christ. Can you get this? Little kids sit on the lap of God. Amen. Boy, that's a good place to be. Yeah. We used to have a man in our church years ago. He'd pray, so the Lord help me to crawl right up to the throne of God. And if you could, just take me into your lap and squeeze me real tight. And I know things are spiritual minded instead of literal, but it's good to be in the very presence of God. And so it was, I want to be glad, the observation. The obedience is, the Bible says, rejoice all the time, evermore. Psalms 33, verse 1. We ought to be happy Christians. If, there, if you're arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you went to a court of law, we put you on the stand and put witnesses for you and against you. Is there enough witness against you to say that person's a Christian? In the early days of the church, they were arrested for being just that, Christians. They were turning cities upside down for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that ministry that began uh, so wonderfully with the Lord Jesus Christ coming and being born, living 33 and a half years, going to a cross and dying for our sins, raising for our justification, ascended back into heaven. What a wonderful story it is. But all because of that wonderful story, we're able to know that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of all joy. It brought joy. Every time a soul is saved, it brings joy to the heart of God. And every time a soul is saved, there is joy in the presence of the angels. It didn't say the angels rejoice. They may. But it says in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repenteth and over 99 just people. So if somebody gets saved tonight, there's a hallelujah banquet going on in glory. There's a big neon sign that flashes up, redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the host of heaven that's been there looking down all these years, that cloud of witnesses found in Hebrews chapter 12. And they look down upon those that are here as the Lord allows them to, but especially when it makes news in heaven. I'm not sure how they do that altogether, but I believe there is rejoicing in heaven today. There was rejoicing in heaven today. There was rejoicing in heaven today when a soul got saved and was able down here to pull the rope that rings the bell over in the glory world. That's what happens. We are able to ring the bell. 
by pulling on the rope of salvation, uh, trying to help folks to get saved, to get right with God. And there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels and those on the other side. So we ought to be a glad Christian, be observing, be obedient. And I said this morning, we ought to be overwhelmed. Turn to your Bible, please, to Luke chapter 10. Let me camp here for just a moment or two. Luke chapter 10 and verse 70, 17, 20. I'll just turn there in your Bible because I can't find on that sheet of paper. In the book of Luke, chapter 10, and verse 17 through 20. 17 through 20, Luke chapter 10. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not. Wow, I'd already shouting on the other part. Boy, demons are subject. I mean, things are happening. Revival seems like fired up. Everybody's enjoying the blessings of the Lord. He says, notwithstanding in this, rejoice not. But, the, but he said, the following the verse, that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Amen. That's when you just shout on purpose. Yeah. You just think about what God has done for you and what he's done for all other individuals in our church and those folks who are redeemed around the world. To know the Lord has placed their name in the book of life. And I'm glad the name of Jesus is already there because it's everywhere. That name, he says, they preached about the Lord Jesus' name. Subject unto us through thy name. So his name is there. What a wonderful name it is. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then because of the power of his name, is able to do abundantly above what they can even imagine. And what wonderful truths were echoed by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other. There's no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. And so there's the name of Jesus already situated wherever we go with the gospel. You go in his name. You come to him. Who? God, in Jesus' name, save me. And then we go out in his name to represent him around the world. And so it is we have the power of his name. But secondly, we have the presence of our name. You got his name involved in the soul winning story. I mean, it's his name. His name. Go preach in my name. Tell every man, every woman, every boy, every girl the glorious story of the redeeming power of God. Go into all the world. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. But then the Bible says that he wants us to rejoice that our names are written in the book of life. Now, some folks will say they've been there before the foundation of the world. And then when they get saved, then they recognize that they're there. I'm not sure how he does it all together. I sort of feel like our names are written down the day we get saved. Now, in the mind of God, they've been there all along because he knows who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. But there was a day that my name was not in the book of life. There was a day when it was not there. And perhaps on that occasion when I got saved, 
the Lord's name, the Lord by the, the divine decree in heaven, dip his dip, dip the quill, dip the pen in the blood of the Lord Jesus, my blood, and write their name in the book of life. Now, it could have been done before the foundation of the world, or it could have been done at the moment of your salvation. I'm not here to debate that theological question tonight, but I am trying to say this. I'm glad my name's there. James Marvin Pauley's name is in the book of life in heaven. It's written in heaven. And your name has been written in heaven in the glory world. Why should not we Christians be glad? Why? Because God told us to be glad. It's a command of heaven. But because we're overwhelmed with the fact that old sinners like us can have our name inscribed in the book of all books there in eternity that we someday will see for ourselves that our very name has been inscribed in the blessed book of life. I'm not sure how he does it. I said because there may be more than one person have the same name. Uh, you may be a junior and have to put junior on your name. But James Marvin Pauley, my name is going to be there. And you've heard me say many, many times, what if there's a thousand James Marvin Paulies in heaven? Well, I'm the little fat one. That's down in Canapolis. That's what I am. And he knows my name. He knows my address. knows all about me and still loves me. It's amazing sometimes. I was talking in the office a while ago how God knows all about us and still loves us. Amazing that he loves us when we're good. He loves us when we're bad. He loves us when we're up. He loves us when we're down, but he says, I want you to be glad. I want you to learn to be glad because the more you are rejoicing, the less sinning you'll do. You'll stay away from the devil more and more. You'll stay away from things that's going to bother you when you realize whose child you are, whose family you're in, and you're a part of the great program of God that reaches back before there was a world until the last star falls from heaven and the sun turns as black as sackcloth as hair, and we come in the realization that he's evermore. He is the everlasting God. There's no beginning and no ending. He's been the Alpha and the Omega. There is nothing he never has seen. He knows all there is to know. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's, uh, he's uh, able to do abundantly above all that he says. And there's nothing beyond his comprehension. And I'm glad. My, my name's right there. Amen. Amazing. Your name's right there. And my name represents me. And your name represents you. And then there's that continuation. As I mentioned about those who continue to get saved rejoicing in heaven. It's been not on the presence of your name, but other people's names around the world are placed in the book of life. Jesus is our example. He's unsearchable, Romans eleven thirty three. The Bible says he's unspeakable in Hebrews 12, 2 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. His name is unspeakable. It's hard to describe with mortal lips the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then the Bible says it's unexplainable. Turn with me, please, to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, let's just read a passage or two. It's given to us there about the wonderful truth that's unexplainable. I jotted that verse down. I'll be sure I got it right. Yeah, Colossians chapter 1, or chapter 3. No, chapter 1. No, chapter 3. <laughs> Somebody clean those up for me after I can't get down and get them after I get better. You made the mess, preacher. You pick it up. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 1. I usually mark my scriptures pretty well to find them quickly. For some reason or not, I'm not finding them quickly. Right there it is. Page 1402. Colossians chapter 1. I want you to see, you see, he's unsearchable. You can't, you can't search out all the mysteries and all the uh, wonderful things about this. He's unsearchable. There's nobody like that. He's unspeakable. Joy unspeakable, Peter said. 
and his name should be called Jesus, an unspeakable name given to us in the dawn of his birth there in Bethlehem of Judea. And then it's unexplainable, chapter 1 of the book of Colossians. So follow along with me as I read, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. And follow the wording now. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have peace with God, would you say amen? amen. Do you want to have peace of God? That's when you have a relationship on a day-by-day basis. With Him we're justified, and of Him we have the peace past us all understanding. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have for all the saints. You love everybody? Anybody in this building you don't love? Just call their name out real loud. I'll hear it. Is there anybody I don't love? You may not like their actions, but you're supposed to love everybody. Amen. And one of the most difficult things for Christians sometimes is to love people. Sometimes it's easy to love unsaved folks and just saints. But some of those saints ain't what they're supposed to be either. But sometimes we have more difficult loving the saved people than we do the unsaved people. Why is that? I'm not sure altogether, but he says, thank you for your love which you have to all the saints. What, a, what an epistle of the Apostle Paul to Colossae. For the hope which is laid in you in heaven, whereof you heard before the word of truth of the gospel, for the, time, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Well, blessed hope, glorious appearing, the great God our Savior, Jesus Christ, which has come unto you and is in all the world. And bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you, since the day we heard of it, and now and knew the grace of our God in truth. As ye learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will. Not only are we to be glad that we're Christians, he also wants us to be good Christians. He wants us to be grounded Christians, 1 John 5, 13, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyful joyfulness and giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Good amen right there, be good. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether it be, in, be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that on all things he might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of His own cro of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say whether they say be things in earth or things, uh, things in the earth or things in the heavens. 
and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If we, he, he continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, that which ye preached in every creature, which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind in the affliction of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery of which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known that what is the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, which we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Colossians chapter 1, 29 verses I read to you just now about how wonderful it is to be in the family of God, how wonderful it is to be reconciled to God, how wonderful it is to realize that to us has been declared a great mystery that we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. And the other generations in the past did not enjoy that like we have. And I'm grateful that we have that wonderful promises from God. So he wants us to be glad and rejoice in all the blessings of the day. By the way, are you a happy Christian? Or are you a surplus? I wonder sometimes about us. You know, it's easy sometimes to get where you, folks can read your face very quickly. And we have to be careful. Even when you're feeling bad, folks say, what's wrong? Somebody said to me, they said, preacher, are you mad? And I was. And so I didn't want to lie, but I was mad at the devil, mad at sin. And I think sometimes you've got to get a scroll on your face when you're preaching about the devil. You know, the only thing I like to preach about the devil, one day he's going to be cast into the outer darkness out in the lake of fire. And I'm glad one day the devil, the Antichrist, all the false prophets, all, the, all those that's failed to be redeemed, and I'm not rejoicing in their death, but they're going to suffer in the lake of fire which burns forever and forever. And I'm glad that God's in control and takes care of that. And I'm glad that sometimes we need to maybe point the finger in the face of the devil with her Bible in one hand and her finger in the next hand and said, We've already been, you've already been defeated through the power of the cross and the resurrection Amen. of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he wants us to be glad. He wants us to be good. We're not to sin. And if you do sin, he says, you have an act with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Some people have this philosophy in theology. If they get saved, they have a license to do whatever they want to do. Some folks say other folks live by legalism. They try to do good things and keep rules to go to heaven. You have the danger of legalism. Legalism is not the way that a person saved. And many folks who accuse others of being legalists, are not, we're not legalists at all. I'm not trying to be saved by my rules. I want rules to help control the boundaries of my life. And I need those from the Word of God. We had a dog one time. Nancy had a dog one time. Well, we all had the dog one time. It was called Pepper Polly. Pepper was a good dog. I've seen bad dogs, good dogs. The best dog I ever had was a big old hound called Marv. No humble, very humble dog. I'd come rub it, it'd turn over on its back like this, and I'd take my foot and start rubbing its stomach. I was, I was the master, and it was the dog. That little dog said, more, more, more. And I'd finally get through rubbing the dog, and it'd run off to the neighbors trying to find somebody else to aggravate. But it was a good dog. But Pepper... 
we, we bought the dog, we, had, we put a fence around the backyard. Now why? We had a big backyard. Why did we put the fence? Why do we have boundaries? Why do we have rules? Because if Pepper had gotten out of the yard, he'd have been in the road. And it's very possible he could have got run over by a car. So the boundary was not for his uh, trying to bind him up and hide him. It was for his own protection. And we have rules, and they call us legalists, have rules to protect you from the things that may happen in your life. And then sometimes they say, well, if you're not a legalist, you're a, a person that believes that you have a license to sin. If you believe that you're going to heaven when you die, no matter what you do, then you're, then you're a person that believes in, uh, I can do what I want to do. What do somebody? I heard somebody say that one time. No matter what I do, I'm saved. I can do anything I want to do. And you can still go to heaven. Well, I may agree with that. I'm going to do everything I want to do, but I'm not going to do a lot of things I don't want to do. Those things that I used to do, I don't want to do them anymore. The things I'm doing that's wrong, I don't want to do those. You show me a person who has a license to sin, and I'll show you a person who has a very cheap theology about salvation, what it all means. You don't want to go on sinning, for he said, my little children, I would that you sin not. So that's pretty powerful. That's pretty straightforward. We try to add to and take away from the Word of God. He says, I would that you sin not. I mean, God went to the Calvary, died on the cross through His Son, the Lord Jesus, and took your sins and my sins and nailed on the cross. He says, I don't, want you to, I don't want you to sin. I paid for those sins on the cross. And yet He realized the human nature in us, there will be times that sin will find itself present in our life. He said, but if you do sin. So He says, no, I don't want you to sin, but if you do sin, you have an agreement with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and He's able to help you in your Christian life and Christian walk. I'm glad I have an attorney today in heaven. Sometimes we meet with attorneys to deal with legal matters, and all of us have done that over the years, trying to settle some things and be sure everything's done just exactly right. But I've got the greatest attorney in all the world. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He's my advocate. So, illustration I'm through. I fail. I committed a sin. I'm so ashamed. You get along with God and say, Lord, I'm so sorry that I failed you and let you down. And the guilt comes because of what you did. It may have been a cursing situation. It may have been a temptation of the flesh. No matter what it is, the sin's committed. And here you are, a claimed Christian. And you want to be a good Christian. And here you are, the Bible says, I would that you sin not. But I'm glad he says, but if you do sin, you have an act with the Father. So when I sin against God, and I don't want to do that, because if I have a desire to live right, I don't want a desire to live wrong. You can't do both at the same time. So I have a desire to live right and please God but I don't have the desire to do wrong. When I do wrong, I feel guilty. And I'm glad the Lord Jesus steps up to the Father. That's my attorney. He said, Father, may plead his case. James has been saved since he was nine years old. I've seen him when he fell. I saw him when he stumbled a few times along the way. I've seen him when he did some things he shouldn't have done. And this last thing he's done, he's confessed. He said, he, he said he's sorry. And Father, he said, I want to confess my sin to you and I'll claim the blood of Jesus Christ that covers this sin. Would you please cover my sin? I confess it to you. And the Lord Jesus said, Father, he's, he's one of ours. He's, our, he's your child. He's my, he's my son in the faith. I saved him by the grace of God on the cross of Calvary and said, I want you to plead the case for him. Father, he knows he shouldn't have done it. Not only did the Lord take away the, the, the guilt, help him to rise from his knees to say, glory to God, that this has been paid already, been paid, been satisfied. Amen. And he pleads the case with the, with the judge. And the judge says, okay, everything's fine. Keep that relationship like it ought to be. Not for your salvation, but because you are saved. 
Sometimes you're going to need an intercessor. Nobody greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. I simply leave with you tonight the fact He wants us to be glad. So I want you to be a glad Christian. I want to be a glad Christian. I want to be a happy Christian. I want to be a blessed Christian. That's the word happiness in the Bible. I want one that enjoys life. Through the sufferings and the trials and the problems, he still says, I want you to be glad. Read the entirety of the Word of God and find how many times they suffered. And you'll find they was in the valley seemingly more times than they were on the mountaintop. When they got on the mountaintop, when he got through getting arrested, getting beaten, and sometimes even left for dead, they would get up again and go back to the church family, church house, and rejoice together. They could suffer for Christ. That's amazing. They rejoice together. That we've suffered. Jesus suffered like nobody else suffered, and we get to taste in his sufferings because we're being suffered because of him. And what a wonderful thought that is. He says, I want you to be glad. I want you to be good. Christians ought to be good. Do you agree? Amen. And you can't be good without being godly. And you can't be godly without having God. The only way you can be good is to have God in your life. God's in your life. The Holy Ghost of God dwells on the inside. And if you desire to be good, there's none good. No, not one, saith the Bible. That's for a fleshly manhood. But I'm glad through the power of God's grace and Him dwelling in us, I can be godly and good at the same time. The Lord says, I want you to be good. I don't want you to sin. I want you to live right. Now get this. I want you to live right. I want you to do right. I want you to please me. And you go along and everything's one fine. You're happy, smiling, enjoying life, enjoying the Christian life. And then the temptation hits you and you find yourself falling. You find yourself in a situation where you hate yourself almost because you not only hurt yourself, you hurt the cause of Christ. And you know you hurt the Heavenly Father and grieve the Holy Ghost of God who dwells within you. And sometimes you get to the place where you just wish you could have forgiveness. And that's where that advocate comes in so often to help cover our sins and let us know everything's all right. You've confessed it. We'll cleanse. I'm going to cleanse you because of the continual flow of Calvary. You're cleansed from that sin. It's never to be remembered against you. Never in all the eternity will that sin be remembered. You say, Preacher, what if I commit the same sin the second time? And you come and say, God, I just I sinned again. And, and this is the second or third time I've done it. And he says, I don't know about those other times. Been, you've already confessed those. And the more you confess to God, you become a great confessor. You're going to be one of the happiest Christians in all the world. Confess your sins quickly. Keep short sin accounts. Stay close to the bosom of God. And you'll find the happiness will be there. I want you to be a glad Christian. I want you to be a, a good Christian. I want you to be a grounded Christian. Have some knowledge of the Word of God and to grow, leaving behind the elementary things of the life about baptisms and about rituals and about um, repentance. You've done all that. You got started. Now He wants us to be grounded in the faith. And that comes by knowledge of the Word of God. The more we know the Bible, the more we read the Bible, the more we study the Bible, the more we grow. He says, I want you to desire the milk of the Word, desire the sincere milk of the Word, to enjoy the blessings of the Lord and be grounded. And I close. How is it that some people get saved? And they stay their entire life and they come down to end and they're still on fire for God. Why is that? Why is it some people get saved and they can't seem to live right? They fall away and some of them even forsake completely the church and the Lord Jesus. The statistics are high about those who leave the church who make decisions for Christ. I don't have it in front of me, but I read it this week. How a sobering thought. How many folks make decisions for the Lord Jesus Christ after a few months they're away from church and not in church? It might have been bad soil they was planted on. It may be something that they uh, thought they had they didn't have. I'm not here to judge that. But a lot of folks go to get right with God, get in church, and serve the Lord for a while, and they just drift away. And I've waited in my own soul. Many of us could have been way down far away from God. But the Bible says a righteous man falls seven times, and he gets back up again. He gets back up again.
he gets back up again. He gets back up again. You say, preacher, how, much, how many times can I commit sin against God and get back up again? He says, against your brother, you can commit 70 times 7, 490 times. And he says, you ought to forgive him if he asks you. 490 times. God wants us to come to him and ask for forgiveness. We may not have to ask that many times, or we may have to ask more than that. But remember that God's waiting on you and waiting on me to have the cleansing take place in our life so that we can enjoy the Christian life. So let's be glad. I'm glad I'm a Christian. Say it with me, please. I'm glad I'm a Christian. I desire to be a good Christian. I want to be grounded in the Word of God. That when I stand before God, He can hear Him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's stand together.